Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of God. Hey everyone, um, great to be with you again. My name is Jacob, if we haven't met before. And thanks so much for joining us just for another week. I think it's like week 10 or something now. And I know a lot of you guys are feeling just pretty exhausted generally. And maybe it's even getting a little bit harder each week to keep tuning in. But I just want you to let you know that we're encouraged by you guys being here. And our hope and prayer is that for as long as we have to do this online, there'll still be a real sense of encouragement and communion with God as we, as we meet together online. So thanks for doing that. Thanks for being here um, with us again this morning. Hopefully you guys are going all right through the lockdown, but I know at the moment many of us are feeling actually quite exhausted. There is something inherently exhausting about this lockdown, and it's taking a toll. I've read a, a, a few articles that have just come out over the last few weeks about how this lockdown is impacting people on a personal level. And one of the major impacts that this lockdown is having is just the rise in burnout that we're, I guess people are seeing across a range of professions. The idea of, a, of burnout, which only you know, 30 years ago was a word just to describe drug addicts, is now pretty commonplace in, in a lot of workplaces. Have, coming to a state of excessive exhaustion through the prolonged exposure to, to demands and pressure that are too high while not having adequate resources to meet them. And in a lot of ways, I think that's the kind of state that we're all in through this lockdown. Um, demands are high, whether it's uh, to keep working or parenting or creating or living and functioning within a whole bunch of extra restrictions. Um, it's difficult having to stay home, having to wear masks and things like that. While at the same time, a lot of the things that often just make life good and, and enjoyable have been taken away. We don't have a community in the way that we normally do. We haven't had holidays, time outdoors and this kind of thing. And that takes a toll. And to kind of realize just how, I guess, how far we've come over the last 10 weeks and kind of being eaten away by this thing, 10 weeks ago, if we were told that, you know, the only thing we could do is to meet with five people outside, that would have been really bad news. But this week when they announced that in a few weeks' time that's possible, we're like, we're excited about that. Which I think just shows, though, I guess, just what we've been through over the last 10 weeks. And so if you're feeling exhausted at the moment, um, you're not alone in that. And my hope today is we just look at these three verses that Jez just read to us, um, that you would find a comfort in this as you just meditate on Jesus' call to come and rest in him. And just to be honest, I, this is a message that I really need today. I was, I was even just struggling this week trying to put this together, just reflecting on, like, I'm meant to be speaking on resting in Jesus, but I've been feeling stressed this week. I've been feeling tired. I've been feeling worn down. I said to my wife, Sarah, like, I don't know how I can preach on this when I'm not really doing it. And she said, we'll just preach the message that you need to hear. So this is my attempt at that. This isn't me coming from a place of being like a Zen monk that's just kind of completely at peace with the universe. This is me speaking to me, um, knowing that I need, to, I need to sit under Jesus' words this morning. And my hope is that this will really benefit you guys as well, as we're going to go through this shared experience of this exhausting time, just to be reminded of the rest we have in Jesus. So I'm just going to pray now, and then we're going to get into the text that Jez just read. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just pray that even from this moment you'd be giving us uh, a little bit of rest. You'd help us block out any distractions that there might be 
um, that we'd actually be able to block out any distractions that we can do by turning stuff off or whatever, but just that you'd quieten our thoughts, that you'd um, just give us the, the eyes to see you and ears to hear what you have to say to us and hearts that are still to sit under your word. And we pray that, that this would enable us to either understand this rest for the first time or, or for many of us just to be reminded of the rest that we have in Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our verse begins with an invitation where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The invitation that Jesus lays out here is an invitation to those who are weary and to those who are burdened. And it's such a strong metaphor. Like It's just something that I think every person can relate to. It's how often does life just feel like you're walking around with a weight on your shoulders? And Jesus' call is to people who feel like that. Just people, and really all people, who are experiencing the general weight of the world that we have on us. We're a tired generation. Maybe, maybe, arguably, more tired than any generation that's been before us. This week, as I was just scrolling through Facebook, I came across um, some, some old videos from the BBC that were filmed in the 60s, which got my attention for a little bit. And one of the videos was um, they were basically interviewing kids in the 60s and asking them what they think the future is going to be like in 50 years. And so it was just kind of fun watching these kids make predictions about what the future would be. I think the main prediction was that we'd be living in a post-apocalyptic wasteland because of you know, Soviets and nukes and that kind of thing. So that's really nice. That hasn't turned out the way that they thought. But I think the other, other than that, the main prediction that kids were making in the 60s was that we'd be living in the kind of robot age. And they talked about how robots would be doing everything for us so we could just rest and have leisure. They talked about how robots would be able to do most jobs imaginable, you know, like cleaning and cooking and, uh, and making food for you. But even they, a few of them had heard about computers and they started talking about how computers would even be able to do our thinking for us. They'd be able to do all these complex tasks that we can't even do in our own brains. And so because of that, only a few people would need to work in the future today and, and those who have to still work would, uh, would be able to do it in a few hours or a few days a week. And the rest of us would just be able to bask in this permanent holiday of relaxation and rest. Now what's interesting to kind of know how things have played out is in one sense they, they were, their imaginations even fell short of reality. Like the things we've got, the, the devices we have, the computers that we have are more powerful than anyone could have imagined 50, 60 years ago. There's more storage, more computing power. Um, no one could have imagined back then having an iPhone in your pocket that enabled you to do everything from summoning food to your door to ordering a car to take you somewhere to meaning that you can meet virtually with anyone anywhere in the world at any time. Um, technology's been amazing, but we're not living in this permanent state of rest, are we? If anything, people today are working longer hours than ever, having less sleep than ever before, Many people rely on drugs to wake them up in the morning, drugs to help us go to sleep at night. We are stressed and we are tired. And more often than not, I think with people sort of describing their relationship to their devices and their machines more like being enslaved to them than freed to them. So what's happened? Why are we so tired? Why are we so exhausted? When on paper, we should be kind of the most relaxed, easygoing generation ever. Um, and and we really, when we've got so much freedom that we can choose what we do, why do we choose often to be tired, to be worn down, and to be busy. One answer to this question that I came across this week was from a bloke called Peter Kreeft, who was writing, reflecting on some work by a philosopher called Blaise Pascal. 
where his answer is that the state of exhaustion that we are in is more than anything a coping mechanism that we put ourselves through. It's really a symptom on the outside that there is something deeply wrong with us on the inside. He says that we've got a gap in our souls that we don't want to confront, and so we work and strive and, and distract ourselves. Um, it's, it's so helpful what he says. I'm going to read it in full. This is Peter Kreeft, and he says, We want to be hurried and hassled and busy. Unconsciously, we want the very things we complain about. For if we had leisure, we would look at ourselves and listen to our hearts and see the great gaping hole in our hearts and be terrified because that hole is so big that nothing but God can fill it. So we run around like conscientious little bugs, scared rabbits, dancing attendants on our machines, our slaves, and making them our masters. We think we want peace and silence and freedom and leisure, but deep down we know that this would be unendurable to us, like a dark and empty room without distractions where we would be forced to confront ourselves. If you are typically modern, your life is like a mansion with a terrifying hole right in the middle of the living room floor. So you paper over the hole with a very busy wallpaper pattern to distract yourself. You find a rhinoceros in the middle of your house. The rhinoceros is wretchedness and death. How in the world can you hide a rhinoceros? Easy. Cover it with a million mice. Multiple diversions. As I read that, that's something that I, just, I can kind of connect with in that argument. That the things that make us weary are often the things that we give ourselves to to make ourselves feel better about the world, about ourselves. Because we've got a deep sense that something's not right. In Jesus' immediate context, the most pressing burden that people experienced was that of a religious law. A few chapters later, um, Jesus refers to the, you know, the excess religious commandments as a burden. And when he speaks to the religious leaders, he says, They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Now, I don't know if you can relate to that kind of experience that people would have had in Jesus' day of feeling like there's all of these kind of rules I've got to live up to to be a good person. I've got to, I've got to be right, I've got to be good, I've got to be holy, but I can't quite get there. I wonder if it could be the case that, that, that living this life, trying to, trying to keep rules and be a good person, is papering over the deeper reality that there is something wrong with us that we can't fix. Or maybe for you it's not specifically in religion that you find yourself pressured and burdened or aspiring to match up, but it's in your career. Maybe you've got a drivenness that maybe at times even borders on a workaholism, that you've got to work hard. You've got to just, just kind of hustle and get there to prove yourself, to justify yourself, to somehow mask to yourself and the world the deep feeling you've got that deep down maybe you're not enough. So you just throw yourself into the hustle, into the long hours, because you don't want to be nothing. You don't want to be a failure, so you work. Or maybe you're, you're busy with the trivial. Your life really is just a project of distraction, You've got this basket of a life that you've filled with as many little things as you can just to give that sense of meaning, to kind of hide the fact that you lack a deeper meaning in your life. There is an emptiness there, an emptiness in yourself that you're just trying with every video that you watch, everything you do, to not notice. I think this, this pattern of life, trying to fill our lives with, with things to distract ourselves from the deep reality that we're not okay is why we are a tired, worn-out generation in need of rest. But rest isn't easy to come by, is it? 
Like we all want rest. We all know that we want rest. But, but many of us just can't bring ourselves to get it. We make ourselves tired. We, we hop into bed knowing that we need sleep and then reach for our phones and scroll. Or it's a nice sunny day and so we take a nice paperback novel to the park, sit on the grass and then get our phones out and hop on Instagram instead. Or we take a day off because we know we need a day off but then we use that day off to try to get ahead in work or to catch up or get things done or get ahead. How can we get real rest? There's a million products advertising to us from sleep aids, productivity tools, apps to make life less hectic but none of these seem to hit the spot. We need a deep rest. And not all sources of rest are equal. Jesus promises that he can provide a certain type of rest that we really need. One of the things I learned last year when when we had a kid was that not all sleep is equal. To confess my ignorance prior to that, when I heard parents complain about being tired, I was like, there's a solution to that. Go and have a nap, go to bed earlier, stop complaining. But that was until I met my son, who for the first 12 months of his life didn't sleep through the night, and for the most part of that 12 months woke up roughly every three hours. And I know some of you guys are in that zone right now, and may God have mercy in your souls, is all I'll say to that. But we were tired, and so we we would start going to bed earlier and, and, and trying to nap in the day and catch up on sleep. But there's something about getting up, you know, for 40 minutes to an hour in the middle of the night a few times... That means no matter how much sleep you get in the day or any other place, you're just not ever rested. Because we need a certain type of sleep. It's not just any sleep. We need what sleep scientists call REM sleep, which is this deep type of sleep where your body can just process and recover and heal. And so what I learned was that having eight or even nine hours of broken sleep just doesn't compare to having even five or six hours just in a row. Sleep isn't a matter of quantity but quality. And the same is true of rest. There's so many little sources of rest that we can get around the place. Time in front of the TV, days off, holidays, that kind of thing. But unless we get the deep rest that we desperately need, we're not going to feel rested. And that's what Jesus offers. He says, in verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's an amazing promise to a frantic, burnt-out, stressed-out, tired world, that you can find rest and rest for your souls. And Jesus says the way you find that rest is to take his yoke upon you. So the yoke's that bit of wood that you'd put on a couple of ox or cows to bind them together as they worked. And there's this irony in that, that Jesus is suggesting this kind of thing that you'd think of as like work and as a burden, as a solution. But what we see is that this yoke is the key to finding rest because... What Jesus is inviting people to is to tie themselves to him, to walk side by side with him, and to actually have him shoulder your load. It's not a yoke of an added burden or pressure, but it's a yoke that relieves pressure. So how is that? I just want to be as clear as I can just in this time now of really how it is that Jesus takes off that that pressure and that burden that we experience. How it is that he gives rest to the soul. And the reason that Jesus can give rest to the soul is that he's the only one who can make your soul okay. We've got broken, messed up, confused souls. It's not a popular diagnosis for this condition, but but what Jesus says is that that our root problem is that of sin. In this passage, Jesus calls the weary and the burdened. 
Um, but a couple of chapters earlier, in, in chapter 9, verse 12, Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And it's not two groups of people that Jesus is calling. He's calling you know, the weary and the burdened on one hand, but he's calling sinners on another. They're, they're one and the same. The weariness that Jesus has in mind is those who are weary under the burden of sin. It's a burdensome problem to have. The sinful people, and, and sin just means to miss the, the mark or, or not live in line with, with, I guess, what God is calling us to. But Jesus realized that's linked with tiredness because he's, he's calling people who are tired of trying to fix or cover up or ignore their broken, damaged selves. He's trying to call people who are tired of making themselves better when they can't because deep down they're sinful. It's people tired of the feeling of the listness the, and emptiness that comes with not knowing the God who made us. So Jesus says, come, put your burden on me. This burden of sin that you are carrying deep down, put it on me. Now the centerpiece of the Gospel of Matthew, which we'll come to eventually as we keep working our way through it, is Jesus' eventual death on the cross, in which he carries the burden of a cross up a hill to a place called Golgotha, he's nailed to it, and in that moment feels the complete weight of our sin and God's judgment for it on himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21, which I guess explains this in another part of the New Testament, says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That which weighs us down, this burden of sin, is put on him that we might have righteousness. That we might be able to say truly and confidently and genuinely, I am okay with God. My soul is okay. I am okay. Now this might sound like a kind of lofty religious answer to the problem of kind of tiredness that we experience, but this, more than anything else, is what frees us from the burdens that we have. Being able to say, I'm okay, my soul's okay, I'm okay with God, is what frees us from the burden of any religious expectation that says, do better, and unless you do this, you're not okay. To know that in Jesus, you're okay is ultimately the thing that has the power to shift your identity from something you have to work for, whether it's your brand or your career or your success or your performance. To be able to say, I'm okay, is to be able to say, in terms of what matters most, what matters more than anything else, the way that God sees me, I'm fine. To know that in Jesus everything okay is the thing that gives us freedom to rest and not need to distract ourselves from reality as we consider our place in the universe. Um, when we get alone by ourselves, we're, we're, we're able to remind ourselves that the deepest, most important thing is taken care of. We don't need to distract ourselves from that reality. It's a profoundly freeing foundation to have. And Jesus invites those who haven't experienced this rest to come and find it in him. If you're weary, if you're burdened, come, there is rest for you. And I know today that, as there has been every week we've been online, some of you guys who are watching are here because you've got questions, you're exploring, you're just interested or curious, and we love that you're here. We love that. We hope it's been helpful in the past. I hope this week's helpful as well. But Jesus wants you to know that this invitation's for you. This isn't an invitation primarily for those who, who would call themselves Christians. It's for people who are, who are tired and haven't found that hope yet. And so we're looking forward to being able to explore with you when we're back in person and that kind of thing. But even now, we'd love you to reach out if you are someone 
who wants to find out more about this rest. You, find, so you say, that sounds appealing, but I don't know how to get it. We want to help you. We want to talk to you and walk alongside you in that. So please reach out. There's a, a comment section, uh, a Google form in the comments or on our website if, you, if you're um, listening to the podcast. We'd love to hear from you because this offer of rest is life-changing. But most of you guys who are watching, um, you do know this rest to some extent. You've experienced it. You believe this. But maybe, despite that, you still feel fatigued. Now, there's something that's going to be just inevitable about this, particularly in a pandemic, to be tired because um, we have to work harder than you normally do and all this kind of thing. So don't feel guilty about that. The point of this isn't to be like, you should feel bad because you're not resting as well as you should. But I do want to encourage you guys, as I've had to say to myself this week, that this rest is there to be attained. And I want to encourage you guys that there is a practice that has proved to be life-giving for Jewish people for over 3,000 years and for the church for over 2,000 years, which is to practice the Sabbath, which is just really taking, for Christians, a day to bring our bodies and our lives into line with the rest that we already have in Jesus. It's not how we get rest in Jesus. It's not how we get our souls fixed in Jesus, but because that's already been done, it's just taking a day to intentionally rest. And I think especially we're in this stage of the lockdown, this is really important to keep doing. We've got at least another month or so of this, maybe longer. But rather than just kind of getting to the end of the lockdown with nothing left in the tank, my hope would be that as a church, we can build a few things into our lives, into our week, that give us rest so that when we reopen, we've still got a bit of energy left. And so I would encourage you to take a day, take a day a week to intentionally Sabbath and to rest. And now some of you guys might not be super familiar with that practice when I, and maybe kind of do it on and off or that kind of thing. When I, when I think of trying to Sabbath, I think of, there's a guy, Pete Scazzaro, who's written a lot about this, where he talks about doing four things. And these are the things I just try to hold in my mind when I'm trying to just take a day that's going to be really restorative, which is to stop, to rest, to delight, and to contemplate. Now, I've tried to do this a bit over the last couple of days, just coming, coming into the weekend. Firstly, just stop. It's probably the, the simplest part of it, but I think for many people it's the hardest part of it. It's just to stop. Stop working as much as you can. Some of the works of life, like parenting, will you know, regrettably have to keep happening. But as much as you can control it, stop. Close the laptop. Shut off the apps that you know, are going to give you notifications or you turn your phone off altogether. Put an auto-reply on your emails. Say no to your impulse to do more cleaning. Say no to your impulse to tackle this kind of big to-do list which is always there, that the car needs cleaning or the cupboard needs reorganizing. And just stop. And that can be really hard because often, like we've said, just, just having to keep going and keep doing stuff is a bit of a coping mechanism. It's an impulse because you get that kind of anxious feeling maybe when you stop. But stopping is an act of trust. It's trusting that the world will keep going even if you withdraw from it for 24 hours. It's trusting that those that you care about will, will manage with you not replying to them instantly. It's trusting that God will provide for your needs. It's trusting that doing the hard act of stopping will replenish and restore and rest you even when you feel like the only way to be really rested is to get everything done. It's to break free of the pattern of just hustle and busyness and hurry. Abraham Herschel, a Jewish rabbi, just draws this distinction of having this separate day of the week. He says, six days a week we wrestle with the world, bringing profit from the earth. 
On the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The world has a hand, but our soul belongs to someone else. Six days a week, we seek to dominate the world, but on the seventh day, we try to dominate the self. To do that work of stopping and just drawing your attention just to what needs to happen in you between you and God is, hard, is, is worth it, but it can be hard. It can be hard, so maybe this means planning ahead so you can stop. Actually putting a lock on your, on your phone or your computer or, or preparing a meal the day before or giving yourself permission to have a takeaway. Letting people know that you'll be off-grid if that's what you're going to do. And just to say no when people ask you in advance to do something on that day that you've set aside to rest. That's the stop. And then once you've stopped, you've got to actually then rest. And some people, that's a really hard concept. What do you think God feels about sleeping in? What do you think God feels about just crashing on the couch in the afternoon? For some of you guys, I wonder, does that kind of fill you with guilt, that kind of idea? That somehow God loves us more when we're being productive. That God loves us more when we're getting things done, doing the things that he wants us to do in the world. Some of us, though, need to learn that God actually calls us to rest. And his love for us doesn't depend on what, how productive we are and what we're getting done. He loves us just as much when we're sleeping in as when we get up early. So to have time to slow down and just not get anything done, to waste time, to have an afternoon nap, to read a book that doesn't teach you anything, um, to take a walk to nowhere, to rest in the fact that you don't have to do anything in the biggest sense, that you don't have to do anything to fix the universe, you don't have to do anything to be right before God, so just be okay for a little bit with doing nothing at all. And to schedule some unscheduled time. Particularly if you're like me and you're not always like aware of what you're thinking and feeling and what your emotions are doing like, uh, on, when it's happening. Sometimes I'll like take 10 minutes to even figure out if I just sit there what, what the funny feeling I have is. Like, Do I need to go for a walk? Do I need to lie down? Do I need to have a conversation with someone? Do I need to be alone? Do I need an adventure? Do I need to do something silly? And having some unplanned time just gives you that ability to work out what do I even need right now? Because you might not know if what you need is a nap or what you need is some exercise. If your day off is just filled with tasks and projects and plans, you never get to that point of listening to what it might be that God is calling you to in the rest to recover and, and be who he's made you to be. So that's stop, that's rest, then to delight. I think many of us, maybe if you've grown up in the church, you think of the idea of like a Sabbath as this kind of really like somber religious thing. It's the kind of thing Ned Flanders would do with his kids and just make him eat celery all day. It's not very fun. But we're imitating a God who delights. When God finished his creation and began his day of rest, he looked out and said it was very good. He, what he was doing was delighting in all that he made. We live in a creation full of good gifts that we are commanded to enjoy. Now, right now in lockdown, that is probably the hardest part of this because a lot of the things that you might naturally want to do on that day to delight, to go and eat out at a nice cafe, to catch up with some friends, to go for a bushwalk somewhere far away from your house, um, you can't do. But one of the things that I think has been nice through the lockdown is the various times in the week, whether it's with my community group or with, with friends or family, we've shared ideas of the things that are kind of keeping us going, the things we're enjoying. So I want to encourage you this week to share with one another in whatever context you can, what are the things you've, you've found that you can delight in even in the midst of lockdown? Whether it's doing a jigsaw, whether it's making sourdough, whether it's exploring some new park that's just around the corner you didn't even know about. Find things that give delight things that are restful and worshipful, that leave you feeling like you've enjoyed a gift of God. And then finally, 
to contemplate. Sabbath is a day to contemplate God. It's not just a day off, it's a day for God. To be particularly attentive to his voice. To be able to come to him in stillness and quiet and hear him speak. To draw near to him in his word. To approach him in prayer. And to have our souls be shaped and reshaped by him. And one of the things that I personally just aim to do when I'm taking a Sabbath day is just to have a block of time, normally an hour, where I can just be with God for that part of the day. Maybe it's in the morning, maybe it's in the afternoon. Normally it's outdoors if the sun's out. Just to be able to sit and be alone and contemplate God and, and hear his voice in a way that I can't always do in the hustle and bustle of every other day of the week. To, to, to have that time to contemplate him in that kind of hour time, but even just throughout the whole day. In the stopping, that's an act of contemplation that, that we have a God who's in control and we don't have to be. In, in just any moment of rest, even as you're lying down, just to contemplate that God is a God of rest who loves you even when you're doing nothing. And just through whatever delight you're doing, whether you're just looking at a tree, going for a run. Looking at a tree might not be everyone's delight. I enjoy looking at trees. But just to contemplate that, that God is good and he has made all good things. Now, like I said, we've got a few more weeks of lockdown at least. Sooner the better we can get out would be great. But until that point, I just really want to encourage you guys to be intentional with rest. Maybe there's a whole bunch of things God may have been doing this pandemic, but maybe, maybe we, 2020 wasn't enough to teach some of us the need to stop. Maybe it wasn't enough to teach us the need to depend on God. Um, I'm not saying that's the whole reason this might be happening, but just one thing we can be drawing from this is that we have a God who allows us to rest. We've got an opportunity over the next few weeks to practice resting in Him. And so I'd encourage you to be doing that and to be sharing with one another how you do this as we, as we get ready to reopen with energy as a church. I'm just going to pray in light of this. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much for your word, that you're a God of rest, that you're a God who, um, who offers to take the burden of sin and everything that comes with that um, on yourself that you don't leave us with uh, a list of requirements that we need to complete in order to have sin dealt with, that you don't leave us needing um, to prove ourselves in our, in our jobs or our accomplishments, but, but that we can know that it is okay with our souls, that you've given rest to our souls, that you've freed us from the need to do anything. And so we just pray that that would actually have a knock-on effect in our lives, that we would be a people of rest, that we would try to join our lives with the reality that we have in the gospel, um, and that this would make us a people who are, as much as we can be, uh, light and unburdened and rested and free to be a real, um, a real presence in this world. So we pray for the sake of, of this church and your people and the world around us that you would help us be a people of rest, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.